Good morning. Today we're going to be in uh, John chapter 1, so if you'll turn there please. We're going to be looking at this last section of John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51. And this is Jesus calling his first disciples and some of the different interactions that he had with them here. And we'll see through this what it means to follow Jesus and our own hang-ups in that and how our Lord and Savior is good nonetheless. So let's, uh, before we uh, go to the text, let's go to him and ask for his help with that. Father, as we come to your word, help us to to see it uh, for all of its clarity, for all of its goodness and its ability to teach us and to guide us and to convict us of our sin. Help us not to put our own spin on your word, but show us your word in its plainness and in its clear ability to show us and to point us forward to your Son, Jesus Christ, who is our Savior. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So, as I prepared for this message, I noticed, particularly in the news nowadays, there have been quite a bit of instances of where people are following other people. You know, the, the presidential debates that have been in the news, you have you know umpteen presidential candidates that are all vying for the presidency in 2016. Each of them have a certain set of promises, and each of them have a certain set of followers that are fiercely loyal to their candidate. So they're following after this person. Right now, also, uh, in the Muslim faith, there's this uh, annual... Hajj, that's, it's called the Hajj, it's a pilgrimage to uh, Mecca, where they go through a certain set of rituals in order to uh, emulate and pay homage to the Prophet Muhammad, and there was recently this you know, just horrible thing that happened with this Hajj, where so many hundred people died from a stampede because of their willingness to follow Muhammad in his, in his way. And also, as you probably know, the Pope... <coughs> is in America, and everyone is all of a sudden religious, and that's good, in a way. Uh, news coverage is following his every step, and every single thing that he does is weighed and, and looked at and considered, and people are going up and kissing his hand and, and doing that sort of thing, and even a senator, I read that a senator snuck a drink out of the same cup that the Pope did in order to receive a blessing, and so that he might be able to then bless his children from that somehow. And I just find it interesting that everyone is following someone. Why? Because people want to follow someone. We're made that way. We all want to follow someone. God made Adam and Eve to do what? To follow Him. The, the way that we are, the way that we are made is to follow someone else. We aren't made to just kind of go our own way, but we're made to actually follow someone else. But yet, because of sin, what do we do? We wander around, following whatever tickles our ears and tickles our fancies, whatever makes us feel secure. We typically only follow those things that lift us up, that serve us, because we, in our sin, seek to do what? Glorify 
ourselves. So in today's passage, we're going to see Jesus calling his first disciples. And they, of course, when he calls them, they follow after him. The call of the king of kings is not one that can be idly refused. But there are some interesting circumstances still surrounding the disciples and how they react to Jesus' call on their lives. And so we're going to look at three main ideas here. We're going to look at that when we follow Jesus, he gives us a new identity. That Jesus desires us to follow him even though he knows us. And that Jesus bids us to follow him, but he comes all the way to us. So as we consider these points, let's read the text together. Let's stand together as we read in honor of God's word. John chapter 1, starting at verse 35. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and following Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, son of John? You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open, and the angel of God descending and uh, ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Amen. This is God's word. You can be seated. <clears throat> so we begin this week, the text this week, much like we ended last week, with John the Baptist making this proclamation, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin. John the Baptist had disciples just like any religious leader of the day would, any kind of teacher of the day would have. And these men were his followers. They were young Jewish men who had probably heard the words of John and heard the hope in John's words. But understand, 
that John's words were just simply pointing forward to another. And John said that himself many times. So when Jesus comes on the scene here, and John says, Behold, the Lamb of God, it makes sense that these men would then leave John and follow Jesus instead. John was only a herald. Jesus was the substance of his message. So as Jesus walks through town here, he's going to pick up a few followers. It was common for Jewish rabbis in the day to have disciples, and the disciples would actually physically follow behind them everywhere they walked. You would see this procession, like the, the, the rabbi would walk in front, and he would have the his disciples walking behind, usually these young Jewish men, and they would stay with him, wanting to learn everything. Not just his teachings, but how to live. Everything about life they wanted to learn from this rabbi. And again, not just the way of the, of the religion, but how they live and how they do everything. They're coming and they're going. So these two men fall in line right behind Jesus. And that's when we have this first exchange that brings us to the first point. That when we follow Jesus, he gives us a new identity. Jesus turns around, he confronts them, and he says, What are you seeking? These are the first words of Jesus in the book of John. What are you seeking? They don't answer Jesus directly. I would imagine this would be a difficult question. You know, they, they just kind of turn and start following him. He's walking down the road, and then Jesus turns around and says, What are you seeking? They don't answer them directly. Maybe they wouldn't have been able to articulate what exactly they were seeking. However, they did know one thing. They wanted to follow Jesus. And so what their next statement makes sense. Well, where are you staying? The, the implication here is we want to sit at your feet. We want to learn from you. We want to know where you live. We want to come and eat with you. We want to come walk with you. We want to learn from you. We want to be your disciple. And so they did just that. They stayed with Jesus most of the day. And they came away with this profound understanding of who Jesus was. We don't get any details of what happened during that stay at Jesus' house. But something occurred so that Andrew had to go and find his brother immediately. Andrew is often seen as a bringer in the Gospels. He often goes and finds people and, and brings them to see Jesus. And so here he goes and he finds Simon, his brother, and he says, we have found the Messiah. So again, whatever it was that Jesus said to them while they were at his house, Andrew came away convinced that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, the one the Old Testament talked about. He understood more clearly now, all of a sudden, the claims that John the Baptist was made. He was now convinced that this one will lead us to eternal life. So it makes natural sense that he would go find his brother and say, you have to come see him. And so he goes and finds his brother, Simon, and he brings him to Jesus and Jesus looks at him, and he says, So, you are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, or Peter. 
Notice we don't, Peter doesn't get a word here. He just gets renamed as soon as he walks through the door. And so why, why Peter? And why not Simon? Cephas means rock in Aramaic. But Peter, as we read through the Gospels, was anything but a rock. He was often slow to listen, quick to speak. He suffered from doubt several times. He often had trouble seeing the big picture and wanted to act very rashly and quickly as opposed to, to understanding everything that was going on. But as an apostle, he becomes the leader of the church. He becomes a major player in uniting the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians in the early days of the church. He becomes very sturdy, very reliable. And Jesus knew that about him as soon as he laid eyes on him. He changed his name into something that would mimic his destiny. This isn't abnormal for God to do something like this. God changed names of individuals all the time in, in order to show what they would become. Think of Abram. Abram means father. God said, you're not just going to be a father. You're going to be the father of many nations. And so he changed his name from Abram, which just means father, to Abraham, father of nations. Jacob, which meant deceiver. What a name. Completely lived up to his name all his life until one time he met God out in the woods and they wrestled. And they had this kind of struggle. And he came away where God, where God renamed him and called him Israel. Because that name represented the struggle that Jacob had. It represented the struggle that God's people would have. But what that name meant is that they would prevail because of the hand of God. It's not uncommon for God to rename people, to give them a new name. So what about for us? I think a lot of times we will follow something in order to claim that identity for ourselves. You know, think of a political party or a religious leader. We accept the identity and we will do whatever, whatever it takes to keep that identity. People will readily do pretty crazy things in order to identify with someone that they believe is right or good even though they may not be right or good. When following a sinful man, which that's all of us, this is not a good thing, because sinful man will always let us down. They can never be the God we want them to be, or we make them out to be. So consider the things that we follow in order to gain something. We should do that every day. See the See its, see its end. Can we, can it actually save our soul? Can it give us some kind of conserv, can it give us some kind of eternal hope? I mean, there are lots of people that are hoping for a conservative in the White House. But is our country all of a sudden going to become this place of sunshine and rainbows if that happens? Is that person capable of saving anybody? No. What about the Pope? If he just happens to bless you as he walks by, are all of a sudden you going to have more salvation than possible for the next person? 
Are you going to receive some kind of momentary comfort that he can maybe give you, only to see it fade away? If you finally have the right amount of money, are all of your problems going to be solved? It doesn't have to be a person. It can be a thing that we follow. Leaders like this give us the wrong kind of identity. They give us the wrong kind of hope. And ultimately, they can only let us down. But yet, when we follow Jesus, what does he do? He gives us an identity. And it's the one that we will become. And he will constantly be changing us to be more and more like him. In Christ, what are we called? Christians. Which means little Christs. What is his intention for our lives? To conform us more and more to his will. And what does he say he'll do? Just that. When he call, whatever he calls us will come true. In Christ, we are called saints, which makes me blush. It means holy ones. I think it's easy for us to look at us ourselves and say, there's no way that I could be called that. But when the Father looks at us, you know what he sees? He sees the righteousness of Christ, and he says, you are my holy ones. And more and more each day, even despite ourselves, we become just that. So Christian, in Christ, we have been given an identity that no worldly allegiance can ever give us. So let us remember that as we follow him and we walk behind him in this world. Next, he desires us to follow him even though he knows us. I love this passage here, starting at verse 45. It says, The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said, Follow me. And he did that. Again, Jesus is uh, the Lord of all creation. He says, Follow me. People do what he says. He found Philip and he said, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And what did Philip do? Immediately. The same thing that Andrew wanted to do. He went and found one of his friends and said, this is the one of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Philip knew his Old Testament, just like the other Jewish folks, and he was waiting for this promised one who would finally come and change the hearts of the people for good. Naturally, naturally, he would want to tell his friends, because he thought that his friend might be interested, and he should be interested. And so what does Nathaniel say? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathaniel is a cynical man. And I completely relate with him. Can anything good come of Nazareth? Nathaniel lived in a time when many men tried to ascend to this title of Messiah. And this one from Nazareth, Jesus, he was probably just lumping in there with all the rest of the fakes and saying, Is, can anything good even come from there? That's like the bad part of town. Can anything good come from there? And I love Philip's response. Come and see. And I think, I think it's just, just a word here. Don't want to dwell here too long, too long, but I think it's a great, a great way for us to talk about our church sometimes. The way we do things as a church. Come and see. 
many people will often discount the church because they've had a bad experience. Maybe a Christian made them feel bad or hurt them in some way. And so they lump everything in together with this Christian and church box and they call it all bad. Or maybe they've been to a particular kind of worship service and it gets lumped into some weird box like contemporary or traditional. And they say, well, I don't want this and I want this. And there's all these weird boxes that we make and these categories that we make. And I think we do well just to respond sometimes to critics and folks that are interested and want to learn more by just simply doing what Philip did here and say, come and see. Because a lot of times in society, we've been trained to be cynical. We've been trained to not trust. Because, just like we've been talking about, we so often get left let down by man. And when man is the idol, we will always be let down. And so I love this response. Come and see. Of course, at that point, we have to be a people and a church, and we have to present Christ in such a way that we will want people to come and see. So Nathaniel goes to Jesus, and immediately, just like Peter, Nathaniel, before he opens his mouth, he is told something about himself. He hears about his own personality, which he's kind of already exhibited a bit for us, and he's even told about this private moment that he had under the fig tree. He says, how do you know me? Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Whatever happened by the fig tree, we don't know. Whatever it was, Nathaniel thought he was alone. He may have been having a private time of worship. Who knows? But he thought that he was alone. And here is the Son of God, the creator of the universe, that says, hey, when you thought you were alone... I saw you. Jesus proves that he's the God of the universe because he sees all. And not only did he see physically see Nathaniel, but he saw into his heart. And he said, this is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And even in Nathaniel's cynicism, note this, even in Nathaniel's cynicism, Jesus calls to him. So what about for us? I mean, I, I confess to you that I tend to be a very cynical person. Um, almost anything spiritual, even, I tend to be very wary. Because people will readily take something that is good and twist it into something that can be very bad. And this has made me like Nathaniel a lot. Did anything good come of this or this? not willing to accept things even that could be legitimate and good. So maybe for you, you're that way. Maybe it's cynicism, some kind of other attitude that you've made the the idol, that would separate you from God and make him seem more and more distant to you rather than with you. It's important for us to remember that Jesus knows us Inside and out. And I think sometimes when I read this story, I think, I wonder what Jesus would have said to me as I walked up and uh, was walking up with Philip. What, what, it wouldn't have been uh, in, indeed an Israelite with whom there's no deceit. It would have probably been something more colorful. Um, I think that would have been one of the best things that could be said. But he knows our private thoughts. He knows our private moments. 
He knows the good things about us. He knows the bad things about us. He knows the thoughts of our hearts, both when we praise Him and when we sin and when we curse Him. He knows all of these things, but what does He do anyway? Brothers and sisters, He calls us to be His own. I love Nathaniel's response here. Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Carpenter's son, the one that can anything good come of Nazareth. All of a sudden, he's the Son of God, the King of Israel. Jesus cuts right through this cynicism, and Nathaniel was able to see him for who he really is. And he does that for us, thankfully, as we grow in grace. And lastly, Jesus bids us follow, yet he comes to us. So we have here, Nathaniel believed, just as we all would if we were sitting there in that situation, obviously, because Jesus said that to him. And how does Jesus respond? Look at verse 50 and 51. Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, this may seem really strange to us if we don't know our Old Testament, but we do. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 28, where our call to worship is from this morning. And I want to read what Jesus was alluding to here. The angels ascending and descending. Genesis 28, verses 10 through 17. This is about Jacob. And if you'll remember, Jacob was this guy who had, who had just deceived his way to a birthright. And now he was being sent to his uncle, basically penniless. And he lays his head down on a rock, which I can't imagine why you would lay your head down on a rock if you had nothing else, I guess. And this is, the, this is what he sees. So look, starting at verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and at the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread upon the west and to the east and to the north and the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid, and said, How awesome is this place! There is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So he sees this flight of steps. The uh, translation here, ladder, is probably not 
accurate. We probably think think more of like the flight of steps that go up to the to the top of a pyramid, like a ziggurat. And he sees these angels going up and down. And at the top, God is above the ladder. And what does he say to penniless deceiver Jacob, who had just cheated his way into a promise? This land that you sleep on will be yours. And your people will be like the dust of the earth. And from your people, everybody on earth is going to be blessed. And I'm going to do this. I will keep my promise to you. This is what God, this is what Jesus is alluding to when he says to Nathaniel, you will see greater things. You will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. But they were ascending and descending on steps in Genesis and now ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What's the point? Jesus is the ladder. Jesus is God come down from heaven to man, even in our lowest estate, even when we are the penniless beggar, Jacob, that he might give us all the promises that he's promised us and that he might save us. We're just like Jacob on our best days. Without the blessing of the Lord, we're hopeless we're penniless, and we're lost in our own way. But what happened? God, in the flesh, has come down in the perfect time so that men and women might know and believe him and have eternal life. And it's because of Jesus Christ, heaven is opened up. And his desire for us is to follow him. And I think a lot of times Christians get mixed up when it comes to this idea of what it means to follow Christ. And I think here in John 1, we see this perfect model, or perfectly modeled for us. They were with him, the disciples. They sat at his feet. They did what he said. Following Jesus doesn't have to be some sort of rocket science formula. We simply listen to his words, but we do what he says. And the great thing is, heaven is opened up, and he is the open door. And when we follow after him, we're sometimes going to be Peter, and we're going to have doubts, and we're going to have questions, and we're even going to question him, and we're going to think that we're right, and the Lord of creation is not right. That's going to be us sometimes. And sometimes we're going to be Nathaniel, and we're going to be cynical. And we're going to be wondering if there's anything good about anything possible. Yet all the while, what is he going to do? He'll be there with us. And he'll not only that, but he'll come to us where we are because that's what Jesus does. He comes to us where we are. He does the work. He died on the cross for our sins. He gave us his righteousness so that I don't have to drum up some sort of righteousness of my own that would be infinitely worthless nonetheless. His righteousness is worthy, and I have that because of what he did for me. Unlike any human leader, we could follow on the earth. 
Jesus does all the work, and we get all the work, all the reward. And so let me encourage you, if you're here, and you're hearing this, and you're not following Jesus, know that heaven's door is open, and Jesus bids you to come. Scripture says that you need only call upon his name. Call upon the name of the Lord, and you will be saved. For Christians, let us remember that as we follow Jesus, as we walk behind him in this world, we're going to stumble along. We need each other. We need to hold one another's hands. We're going to stumble along. But our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, he walks with us. Thanks be to God, he walks for us. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, you have called us to follow you. And for different reasons for each one of us, that is difficult. And so we pray that you would help us break down the sins in our lives, the barriers that we might have. Help us to grab hold of this identity that you have given us as saints, as called ones from you, and to live as if you would have us live and follow after you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.